I've known rivers. I've known rivers ancient as the world and older than the flow of human blood in human veins. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. I bathed in the Euphrates when dawns were young. I built my hut near the Congo and it lulled me to sleep. I looked upon the Nile and raised the pyramids above it. I heard the singing of the Mississippi when Abe Lincoln went down to New Orleans, and I've seen its muddy bosom turn all golden in the sunset. I've known rivers, ancient, dusky rivers. My soul has grown deep like the rivers. That was The Negro Speaks of Rivers from 1921, written by Langston Hughes when he was a mere 17 years old. It was the beginning of a long career as a writer, social activist, playwright, and columnist. His writing, as well as his persona, would go on to inspire generations of artists, among them Talib Kweli and Gil Scott Heron, whom we explored in the episode prior to this one. Langston Hughes was one of the true American writers, focused, determined, disciplined, and therefore dangerous. Welcome to House of Words a podcast about writers, poets, and renaissances. I am your host, Jason Moore Hardin, and today we're exploring the life of Langston Hughes through three of his most famous poems. Quote, In all my life, I have never been free. I have never been able to do anything with freedom, except in the field of my writing." End quote. The Negro Speaks of Rivers, one of his most famous pieces, was written when Langston Hughes was 17 years old sometime in 1920. Hughes' parents had separated when he was young, and Langston was crossing the Mississippi River on his way to Mexico City, Mexico, where his father was living at the time, and where he would remain for a little over a year. It was just outside St. Louis that inspiration struck. Langston found something to write on, the back of an envelope as it was, and it took him no more than ten or fifteen minutes to get the poem down on paper. He had most likely no idea of the intensity it carried at the time. At the time of writing the poem, the Great Migration, a movement of black people out of the southern United States and into northern cities like Chicago, was ongoing. This most likely did not go undetected by young Langston, who saw the transition to be relevant to his writing. The Negro Speaks of Rivers was published the following year, 1921, in The Crisis, the official magazine of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. The Crisis was founded in 1910 by W.E.B. Du Bois as an editor along with a handful of others and has continuously been in print since then. Being published in the magazine brought attention to young Langston Hughes and would later be referred to as his literary beginning though it wouldn't be that simple. The poem uses the river as a metaphor for his own life and the lives of black people in the United States at the time, but it also goes into the experience that Africans had to go through to get to the U.S. Hughes himself had not traveled widely by the time he wrote the poem, but obviously possessed knowledge of history and geography. 
The rivers spoken of in the poem progress from the Euphrates in Asia to the Congo and the Nile, and finally to the Mississippi. By following the rivers, it traces black history from the beginning of human civilization all the way to the present of modern America, moving through both the triumphs and the horrors they encountered, from the construction of the Egyptian pyramids to American slavery. The poem argues that the black soul has incorporated all of this historical experience and in the process has become deep, like a river. In fact, the speaker has known rivers older than the flow of human blood in human veins, suggesting that black history existed even before human existence. And concerning the speaker in the poem, scholar Alan Burns feels that the piece is written from the perspective of a soul or a consciousness of black people in general, an all-seeing eye that is able to convey the black American experience. The poem goes into how the cultural identity of black people is continuous, how it stretches across violence and slavery, and how black people have made vital contributions to human civilization, though these have often been censored or altogether neglected. First, the slave trade cut off black people from their homes, their cultures, their families, and ultimately, their history. Yet the speaker asserts a continuous history despite that cutting off. American narratives of history have usually focused on white people, effectively erasing black experiences from the registers of history. In presenting the speaker's knowledge as stretching across continents and historical periods, the poem portrays a narrative that acknowledges and puts weight on the neglected aspects of history. The speaker argues that black identity and accomplishment are so powerful they can cross the gaps that slavery created reconnecting with lost ancestors and traditions. In the face of centuries of slavery and oppression in America, the poem stresses the perseverance of black cultural roots. In this sense, the poem is an ode to black perseverance. The poem would go on to become one of the key writings of the literary movement known as the Harlem Renaissance. Eighteen years before the poem introduced Langston Hughes to the beginnings of his career, James Mercer Langston Hughes was born on February 1, 1902, in Joplin, Missouri, though he would mostly grow up in Lawrence, Kansas. As mentioned earlier, his father, James Nathaniel Hughes, and his mother, Carolina Mercer Langston, known as Carrie, a schoolteacher, writer, and actress, soon separated after the birth of their son. His father, looking to escape the racism he faced in the U.S., moved first to Cuba and then to Mexico, while Langston's mother moved around during his childhood in search of employment. With both of his parents on the move, he was primarily raised by his maternal grandmother, Mary Patterson Langston, until her death in his early teens. He first entered school in Topeka, Kansas, where his mother was working at the time. They were staying at a rented room near his mother's place of work, and he was to attend a white school named Harrison Street School in the downtown district. To begin with, the school refused to accept him, telling his mother that he could attend the colored school, which was not only blocks away, but also across the railroad track. But his mother, always ready to do battle for the rights of free people, went directly to the school board and got him admitted into the school. At Harrison Street School, all his teachers except one treated him well and with respect. 
The same went for most of his classmates, and he learned that most people were generally good, something that he would continue to experience in all places and every country he went to. After the death of his grandmother, he would live with friends of the family for a period before eventually settling with his mother, who had remarried. They lived in Lincoln, Illinois for a while, where Langston was elected class poet in grammar school. Concerning this, he would later comment that he had been chosen merely because of the stereotype that black people were thought to have rhythm. Being one of only two children of color in his class, he had a 50-50 chance of being chosen. Nevertheless, he did enjoy experimenting with writing by then and would continue to explore the power of words. A few years later, the family relocated and settled in Cleveland, Ohio. During high school in Cleveland, he wrote for the school newspaper, edited the yearbook, and began on his first short stories, poetry, and dramatic plays. One of his teachers introduced him to the poetry of Carl Sandburg and Walt Whitman, both of whom Hughes would later cite as primary influences. It was while in high school that he wrote his first piece of what would be known as jazz poetry, When Sue Wears Red. As mentioned, he wrote his first published poem on his way to visit his father, who was very different from his son. In particular, his father had a dislike of colored people that Langston did not share. Neither did his father accept the aspirations of his 17-year-old son of wanting to become a writer. His wish for his son was that he would want to study engineering somewhere abroad, somewhere away from the U.S. In the end, they came to a compromise his father would provide financial assistance if he studied engineering, which he agreed to do as long as he could do so at Columbia in New York. While at Columbia in 1921, Hughes managed to maintain a B-plus grade average, though he would leave the following year because of racial prejudice among students and teachers. His short stay, however, was far from a waste of time as New York had opened him to a broader reach of black people and introduced him to a neighborhood which bore the name Harlem. He continued to write and would soon see that Harlem was a center of vibrant cultural life as well as the home he had been searching for. Quote, An artist must be free to choose what he does, certainly but he must also never be afraid to do what he might choose." End quote. With a desire to become a writer, but not yet being able to make a living doing it, he took up various odd jobs to make ends meet. In 1923, he was a crewman aboard the SS Malone, spending six months traveling to West Africa and Europe. In Africa, he realized that he was not black or Negro, by their standards. There you had to be a pure Negro to be referred to as such, and thus he was looked upon as brown. This was a harsh realization and one that certainly influenced him to deepen his identity as a black man. After a while in France and England, he returned to the U.S. to live with his mother in November of 1924. His mother was living in Washington, D.C. at the time, where he took on more assorted jobs, quitting better-paid jobs in order to have time to write. By 1924, his earlier work had been published in magazines, and some of his work was about to be collected into his first book of poetry when he encountered poet Vachel Lindsay, with whom he shared some poems. Impressed with his work, 
Lindsay publicized his discovery of a new black poet. The following year, Langston enrolled in Lincoln University, a historically black university in Chester County, Pennsylvania. After earning a BA from the university in 1929, he returned to New York. With the exception of travels to the Soviet Union and parts of the Caribbean, he considered Harlem to be his primary home for the remainder of his life. And his love for Harlem was such that he is quoted saying, I would rather live in a three-floor walk-up in Harlem than a mansion in Westchester. Hughes was between 49 and 50 years old when he wrote the poem Harlem, which addresses one of his most common themes, namely the limitations of the American dream for black people. It is one of his most famous works and the most common of his poems taught in American schools. The poem, also referred to as A Dream Deferred, would go on to become another important cultural piece of writing, with the Encyclopedia of African American Writing defining it as one of the anthems of black America. The poem deals with the question of what happens to a dream that goes unrealized and its possible outcomes. This could stem, at least partially, from the love and belonging he felt in Harlem during the 1920s and a period of the 1930s. This was a time before heroin and the Great Depression came into the picture and changed Harlem, along with many other neighborhoods and boroughs. When he first encountered Harlem, it was at a time of community when people looked after each other. During summer, people would go in groups and sleep in Central Park, where it was cooler. They had block parties where you brought your own bottle to share with others. It was a time when everyone would put a little money in a jar in order to help neighbors pay the rent. Because of this, many black families saw Harlem as a sanctuary from the frequent discrimination they faced in other parts of the country, all of which were memories Hughes cherished. Unfortunately, the early 1930s brought the Great Depression and Harlem's glamour faded, leaving many black families who had prospered there destitute once again. And although things were better at the time he wrote the poem, 20 years later, it was still far from as good as it had been. As if the Great Depression had not been enough, heroin also invaded Harlem and increased the violence. Furthermore, America was still racially segregated, and black people were still saddled with the legacy of slavery, which essentially rendered them second-class citizens in the eyes of the law, particularly in the South. Though change was coming, Hughes wrote Harlem three years before the seminal Supreme Court decision of 1954 in the case of Brown v. Board of Education declared state laws establishing separate public schools for black and white students to be unconstitutional. He was intimately aware of the challenges he faced as a black man in America, and the tone of his work reflects his complicated experience. At different points through the eleven lines of the poem, he can come across as sympathetic, enraged, hopeful, melancholic, resigned, or all the above. The speaker in the poem does not refer to a specific dream. Rather, it is suggested that black Americans cannot dream or aspire to great things because of the environment of oppression that surrounds them. Even if they do dare to dream, their grand plans will fester for so long that they end up rotting or even exploding. The meaning behind the explosion of a dream is an element that has often been at the center of speculation. 
Whether the exploding in question is one of racial injustice leading to protests and riots, or if its meaning is more about an internal explosion, a self-destruction of sorts is still debated. What is not debated, however, is the impact and importance of his short, concise, and very powerful poem. Langston Hughes's popularity continued to grow worldwide from the mid-1950s to the mid-1960s, though his stature among the younger generations of black writers at the time had an air of ambivalence. With racial integration becoming more and more solidified in the U.S., many black writers considered his writing of black pride to be out of date. Many went as far as referring to him as a racial chauvinist. On his end, he found some of the new up-and-coming writers, among them James Baldwin, lacking in pride, over-intellectual in their work, and occasionally vulgar. It was clear that the zeitgeist of the time was changing, though whether it was positive or negative is up for debate. Hughes wanted young black writers to be objective about their race, but not to scorn or flee the subject. While he understood the main points of the black power movement of the 1960s, he also felt that there was too much anger and violence surrounding it. His last collection of poems, Panther and the Lashed, posthumously published in 1967, was intended to display the solidarity Hughes felt with these writers, although excluding the most violent anger and racial chauvinism some younger writers showed toward whites. He was 60 years old and seeing a change in the world around him, as well as a lack thereof. He wrote a poem that dealt with a controversial subject matter in an equally controversial manner. The poem comments on the relationships between white and colored and how the roles in these relationships were changing. With racial equality on the rise in the U.S., he envisioned a future where things could become the polar opposite of what once had been. In the poem, blacks, who used to be looked down upon and treated like servants, are now in the position of power, going as far as even reversing the roles by making the whites their servants. It starts off by stating that it is the beginning of the colored hour and gives examples of black people who have risen to hold powerful positions as leaders in society, positions that previously belonged exclusively to whites. Martin Luther King Jr. is envisioned as being the governor of Georgia, with Dr. Rufus Clement as his chief advisor. Blacks are now living in white-pillared mansions sitting on their wide verandas, this being an obvious reference to the luxury and wealth that was not widely available to black people at the time. The poem pushes the power of the colored people even further by stating that wealthy Negroes have white servants, and white sharecroppers work the black plantations. Colored children now have white servants they call mammies, just like the white children had before and at the time of the poem. There is also a clear tone of resentment and payback in the piece, as nearing the end of it, it is the blacks who are now the overlords, commanding the white servants around. It ends with the colored person telling the white servant Mammy to hurry up with a drink. Though anger and resentment is prevalent in the piece, it appears that Hughes's intention was to illustrate the severity of the injustice committed upon people of color by turning the tables to equal extremes. Quote, I live in Harlem, New York City. I am unmarried. I like Tristan, goat's milk, short novels, lyric poems, heat, simple folk, boats, and bullfights. 
I dislike Ida, parsnips, long novels, narrative poems, cold, pretentious folk, buses, and bridges. End quote. Langston Hughes continued to write poems, novels, short stories, plays, children's books, and nonfiction from 1961 up until his death. Perhaps most important of all, he continued to inspire other poets, artists, and activists. He understood the true value of art. This was not celebrity or notoriety, but writing well and living up to one's own expectations. In contrast to some of his contemporary writers, he was never seduced by fame, narcissism, nor the greed that followed with becoming a more recognized name. While some other writers at the time realized that there was more attention to be found in the public eye than sitting in a room writing, he continued to put writing at the top of his list of priorities. He was an old-fashioned writer, which there have been few and far between a writer who truly cares about society and culture and is trying to make the world in which he lives better, one word at a time. Langston Hughes died in the Stuyvesant Poly Clinic in New York City at the age of 66 on the 22nd of May, 1967, from complications after abdominal surgery related to prostate cancer. His ashes were interred in the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in Harlem, under a cosmogram that was inspired by the Negro Speaks of Rivers. The cosmogram is entitled Rivers and was designed by Houston Conwell. In the center of the cosmogram is the line, My soul has grown deep like the rivers. I will leave you with one last quote from the Harlem Renaissance man. I have discovered in life that there are ways of getting almost anywhere you want to go, if you really want to go." End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason Nemoa Hardin. We here at House of Words ask that you please consider helping to make the show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash house of words. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Crystal M. Sanchez. Narrated and written by me, Jason Nemore Harden. And music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Crystal M. Sanchez and Jason Nemore Harden. <laughs>